When was the last time you spent time in a bar room? Cause you couldn't find a better place to be To kill the pain that fills the world with sorrow Hoping that the wine would set you
WC to the CB and WWC to the B and set the WWC to the B and set the WWC to the B and set the WWC to the B and WWC to the B and set the WWC to the B and Anywhere in the world tonight, but instead you're here with us. Phil's gonna try to play that, but WCBN. All y'all gotta do, hear what you want. Let's call that number. You know, be the 763350. Say what? 
you know, uh, concealed weapons uh, heroes uh, might have yeah, might hey, have been Texans <laughs> with your ready to shoot uh, firearms at the hip. Where where were you? Where <laughs> so well, anyway? Wisely taking cover, I would imagine, which is really the only real response is to hit the ground, lay low, take cover. Well, I went from the Marlon Brando wild ones to something uh, quite different. It seems a wild bunch. Yeah, the wild <laughs> bunch. It went from Brando to Peck and Paw uh, quite well, shortly, and the police were allegedly on hand. So, uh, well, that's a sixth gang then. <laughs> it's going to be. Uh, a, don't a, know if they showed up with any of the uh, armored tank type things. Although apparently Obama has announced that he's going to shut that program down. He did announce wisely. that today. Uh, he, he he announced that in Camden, New Jersey, uh, another <laughs> place that you might want <laughs> to walk around with a gun. Uh, yeah, Joyzy. Waco. I don't know what it is about Waco, but that of course is the. The Branch Davidian, uh, the yeah. Branch Davidians well, made Waco the, the, famous. The Gene Wilder character in Blazing Saddles was the Waco kid. Uh, yeah, just to add another little element of uh, the comic to it. But there was—I don't know the names of these uh, gangs involved—but uh, uh, there was that one biker gang that was going to the funerals of fallen veterans or uh, servicemen who. Uh, there was the religious, uh, anti-gay, anti-abortion, anti-everything, sure, you know, mm-hmm. compassionate. Out of Kansas. Out of Kansas going to these uh, fallen uh, servicemen funerals and protesting. Uh, and the biker gang was, was showing up to be sort of like a show of support for the servicemen. Sort of, hey, your protest must stay outside. You got to respect these people's. You know the privacy of a funeral. Sure, um, I don't so. know if that was one of those biker gangs, but uh, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, get a program because you need to know which uh, which gang was which. That's right. It's it's not a gang; it's a club. <laughs> uh, so <The> playoffs. <laughs> stay tuned for a, 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 a yet another federal investigation. And as for the uh, the recent uh, humorousness of the National Guard keeping an eye on the U.S. military in Texas. Maybe the, National, maybe the National Guard should keep an eye on the bikers. <laughs> or just Texas in general. Bleeding motorcycle. <laughs> Bleeding motorcycle. Yeah, Texas is, uh, I don't know, it's a three-ring circus pretty much every other day. Um <clears throat> Maybe the most interesting journalistic story of the week were the Seymour Hersh revelations. Uh, I have yet to receive my copy of the London Review of Books, but uh, it uh, promises to be interesting. Um, uh, I've not heard of this. What's uh... Well, it's a, it's a remarkable uh, story that involves uh, the fact that Seymour Hersh... Uh, at least as far as American journalists go, probably has sources second to none... Some of his assertions are probably incorrect, but there is certainly an element of truth to some aspects of this story. So I think we'll talk more about it next week, but it was interesting how he was pilloried uh, pretty uh, roundly in the media, the mainstream media, about this story. I also want to point out that there isn't really a, quote, official or semi-official version of the Obama uh, the excuse me, the Osama bin Laden um, 
event in Pakistan. But uh, you mean where they eventually made the hit? Where they made the hit using the seals, and it is fascinating that there was a similar uh, Navy seals uh, incident uh, this past week in uh, mm-hmm. Syria, uh, pretty much behind enemy lines. So. I'm going to wait to actually read the Seymour Hirsch article in its, in its entirety, but certainly the fact that the government uh, may have covered up aspects of the uh, raid is no surprise. And I do think that there are instances in, in the world of what are known as benign cover-ups. Uh, I am very skeptical, by the way, that bin Laden's body was dismembered and uh, scattered uh, in... Uh, Various parts over the Hindu Kush. That's a story that <laughs> that somebody propagates. Me yeah, as probably inflammatory right. disinformation. But there are some other aspects of the story that have a ring of truth to it regarding the strange relationship between ISI, which Pakistani uh, sh- intelligence, which should not be confused with ISIS, which of course is. Uh, Launched a bit of a uh, counter-offensive offensive in Ramadi uh, this past week. Apparently, they've taken the city of Ramadi. I don't know if that's a permanent situation, but uh, it certainly does not bode well that the Iraqi uh, American-trained uh, security forces uh, allowed um, ISIS to take parts of Ramadi. But the strange relationship between ISI, Saudi Wahhabism, uh, and the whole Middle Eastern region is just, uh, it's murky, to say the least. (laughs) Uh, The phrase rug merchants (laughs) was used frequently during the Iran-Contra affair. And I think the United States has frequently uh, misplayed its hand. In Afghanistan, in Iraq, in Saudi Arabia, in Syria. Yeah, and and in addition to misplaying their hand, they've also frequently misread the cards. Yeah. And seen a hand, you know, if we're going to use this, uh, the the card metaphor, to look at cards in your hand and misread what you've got. uh, And then make your decisions based on that uh, is uh, pure ineptitude. And while Tennessee Jeb... fold. Tennessee Jeb Bush is trying to figure out what his position is on the uh, <laughs> the actual uh, wisdom of the Iraq war. Uh, he's gotten himself into all sorts of deep doo-doo over the past couple of weeks about and it. Kudos to the 19-year-old college gal who uh, boldly called him out on, you know, hey, uh, isn't your brother partly responsible for the creation of ISIS? Exactly. <laughs> That's really uh, at the heart of the problem. Yeah. They're the... Uh, Actually, they are the remnants of uh, the sort of dismantled uh, Iraqi uh, Sunni army, mm-hmm. no doubt about it. And indeed, they more—they may over time have more uh, create more mischief in Iraq than they do in Syria. But uh, leaving that aside, and while the Syrian-Iraqi uh, pseudo war with ISIS will uh, continue unabated. Um, one does wonder about uh, Navy SEAL operations behind enemy lines uh, with respect to, you know, escalating the situation and whatnot. Um, 
So we will wait for all of these startling revelations by Seymour Hirsch, but Certainly in the past, he, yeah. his, his, his track stories, record is quite good. He, yeah. broke, he broke the My Lai Massacre. Uh, he had some important background information on the KAL 007 flight yeah. that was sort of mysteriously shot down. He uh, also, of course, broke the fact that the CIA was breaking American laws in the 70s that led yeah. to the creation of the Church Committee. Uh, at the time, he was actually uh, working uh, for the New York Times, so th those stories actually broke in the New York Times, and while the Washington Post sort of outmaneuvered the New York Times on Watergate, per se, with Woodward and Bernstein, Hirsch does have sources, uh, both uh, in the American government and uh, abroad, that are uh, have proven to be correct in the in 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 many instances um but as i say there are some elements to the story that i am somewhat skeptical about so we'll discuss the the hirsch thing uh, more next week but we'll just say that uh um it's interesting how hirsch has defended himself in some interviews both on the bbc and i heard a Kind of an interesting interview on uh, on the media uh, this past week uh, regarding his uh, history in the profession of journalism. So uh, we'll. Uh, yeah. You mentioned cover-ups benign and not so benign. Of course, we're finally getting some uh, information on the mysterious barrels that uh, not the orange on. barrels, <laughs> not the orange barrels of the construction zone, but the. Uh, Barrels that uh, soldiers encountered. Uh, of course, we were fed a line about how Iraq has weapons of mass destruction. George Bush, uh, H George W. Bush, took took that joke series of photos where he's like looking under the desk. No, no weapons of mass destruction here. Golly, where are those elusive things? But then there were these barrels of some toxic chemicals that soldiers were told to move. And uh, when health problems began to emerge, the Pentagon sort of sealed all access to those records which detailed the contents of the barrels lo and behold it's uh, almost certainly uh toxic chemicals that we sold to saddam hussein's iraq mm -hmm. in his war against iran uh and so another example of how our bad policy uh decisions in the mid-east continually and repeatedly hurt ourselves and our soldiers and, of course, uh, there's been a big brouhaha this past uh, several weeks uh, over the so-called uh, Arab uh, summit that was held at Camp David in which the king of Saudi Arabia right. uh, allegedly snubbed the United States. But uh, <laughs> oh, I think your point last week that he was probably more concerned about the potential uh, likelihood of a coup if you were to leave the Arabian Peninsula. Yeah, and also, of course, the ceasefire uh, held only briefly. Apparently, the uh, there has has been a resumption of uh, airstrikes by Saudi Arabia in Yemen, mm -hmm. yet another country um, that America invested fairly heavily in during the Cold War. Um, of course, the big economic brouhaha of the week is the is the free trade debate. Uh, and this, of course, is somewhat allowing uh, Bernie Sanders, who's uh, announced that he's running for president, a platform to articulate his uh, 
reasons and justifications for opposing such a thing. And for the time being, the uh, Democrats in the United States Senate seem to be fairly unified in blocking the deal. But uh, don't be surprised if uh, a deal is yet reached. Well, when NAFTA first uh, began to uh, get traction in the first Clinton administration, that was one of the moments where Clinton sort of disappointed his supporters on the left and brought the center a little bit to the right uh, by upsetting unions by favoring the NAFTA. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to see how this plays out now. Is that center going to shift one way or the other? Bernie Sanders, of course, is applying pressure on uh, Hillary Clinton's left. Um, the range and kinds of pressures that she, as the ostensible frontrunner, is likely to face, very different, of course, from the ever-enlarging field of clowns emerging from cars in the uh, Republican presidential hopefuls. Lindsey Graham is going to make his announcement on June 1st. Oh, well, I can't so, wait. There you go. <laughs> Pencil that one in. For... <laughs> and more on the way. Get your uh, jowl powder uh, I don't know place. that uh, Christy and Jindal are ever going to uh, make the, uh, the final roster. <laughs> they seem to have too many fiscal problems at home. There is, by the way, just a, a typical... Uh, and I think well-articulated uh, article in today's New York Times about what I call are the trade-offs of, about free trade, the cost-benefit analysis of mm. free trade. And as this relates to the issue of inequality, uh, Bernie Sanders is probably absolutely correct when he argues and points out that since 2000, with these free trade agreements, uh, 60,000 factories in the United States have shut down. And uh, the number of manufacturing jobs in the United States has pretty much declined as the Benjamin, uh, ben, uh, excuse me, Benjamin uh, Applebaum's uh, article details that uh, around 2000, America had about 18 million manufacturing jobs. And uh, between the Bush policies uh, regarding free trade, and this so-called fast-track uh, concept, um, those jobs have dwindled down to about 12 million. So we certainly have lost several million manufacturing jobs. The paradox, of course, of all of, all of this is that the uh, level of imports have gone up uh, in the corresponding time by uh, several percentage points. And uh, yet industrial production in the United States has also increased. Uh, so it's important to realize that robots are doing more. Technology um, is a, plays a role in the free trade debate. And it's not just simply about uh, free trade agreements per se. <clears throat> the fundamental problem and the fundamental issue, I think, that's sort of being overlooked in this whole uh, ongoing um, discussion, and this has been going on really for 30 years here. This goes back to Ronald Reagan. Mm. Um, much of the NAFTA and the so-called uh, Uruguay-GATT treaties were initiated during the Reagan administration, and presidents in general uh, become free traders once they're president. This, of course, was a fundamental policy of the Democratic Party throughout the 19th century, and uh, Franklin Roosevelt in particular was a big 
believer in quote-unquote free trade. So these are long-time uh, economic issues about our society, uh, how it's uh, being reorganized as a um, as we're transitioning, so to speak, from a industrial economy to um, a uh, information information technology service economy, yeah. service-based. And uh, the plumber, if you, if you're uh, in high school, uh, listening to Gray Matters at the moment. And uh, you uh, seek a trade, so to speak, and are part of a local trade union, say as a plumber or an electrician. That's not a job that can be man uh, exported overseas. Mm -hmm. But if you make shoes or televisions or washing machines or whatever, sort of the traditional blue-collar manufacturing uh, concepts that we have uh, here in the Detroit area, an assembly line... Mm -hmm. Our real debate should be, do we want to save these jobs? Do and, and we can save American jobs, I might add, by not shopping at Walmart. <laughs> For one thing. <laughs> um, you know, so consumers have choices regarding uh, the issue of American jobs. And I think that's frequently left out of the debate. Because as, uh, as uh, this article points out and shows... There's been a huge benefit, quote-unquote, to consumers who have benefited from cheaper imported consumer goods that they can buy at their um, malls and Walmarts, etc. And uh, while I am a sort of an anti-consumer and don't do much of that shopping, that kind of shopping, um, I think that this is sort of a real debate our society needs to have. And, of course, uh, our urban areas, uh, and Baltimore uh, has been in the news quite a bit lately because of the, uh, the uh, police uh, brutality situation well, and riots. The, the widespread poverty, the abandonment of neglected buildings, yeah. the homeless problem. They're all things that sort of make sense if you look at them within the context of each other. The, you know, the industrial hollowing out of America has yeah. been going on since the 1960s. Mm-hmm. And let's recall that Japan and Germany, who are also dominant uh, manufacturing e economies globally, um, were decimated during World War II. So this sort of magical era that existed in America in the 1950s uh, is never going to come back. And people need to face that fact. Let's also remember that China, and Mao did many controversial things, he also did some some great things for China, but China was fairly isolated from the global economy. So after he died in 1976, China began to radically modify their approach to the international economic mm -hmm. situation. China has to create roughly 25 million jobs every year just to sort of stay even. So this puts an enormous pressure on the global economy uh, particularly as it relates to so-called unskilled workers and whether or not, you know, do people in, say, Marion, Indiana, want to make shoes? I don't know. <laughs> uh, some of those jobs are monotonous, and uh, we shouldn't confuse those kinds of jobs with um, high-paying uh auto steel jobs that existed in the 50s and 60s in the United States. Yeah, you know, a guy like my dad uh, could go get a factory job with a high school diploma, get a very good paying wage, 
become a member of a union, get some good benefits, raise a family. You know, some of those guys, like my dad, eventually went back to college and were able to uh, move up. But even with just a high school diploma, uh, you could get a good living wage, and that's not been true for 20, 30 years. So. Yeah, and it's it's a difficult situation, but I think that our um, education system needs to recognize what types of jobs will exist in the future regarding skilled work and what kinds of jobs won't. Obviously, the days of uh, sort of asking Grandpa to, uh, you know, can I hire in at the Ford plant in the summer and uh, do a little work uh, to make some money for college, those, those days are over. Yeah. And we need to uh, not couch it so much in the what I call sort of monarchian world of black and white regarding trade, but recognize that there are trade-offs in, in, in the free trade debate. Uh, there are dock jobs, for instance, created in uh, cities like Long Beach, California.